<laughs> so on that, well, welcome, welcome everyone. To, <laughs> welcome. To time and place. This is not the time and place for that discussion. <laughs> but uh, tonight, tonight, tonight it is. <laughs> tonight we'll be we'll, we will be talking about. Uh, so last week we had a uh, debate between myself and a Catholic friend of ours um, on sola scriptura, the scripture alone, and I did not expect it to. I. I proposed it as there, there are two you know, points of view being, being uh, thrown out there, and that is sola scriptura versus sola ecclesia, which Catholics, as far as I understand, usually do not take that to be their stance of, of the church alone, sola ecclesia. Um, but usually they, they, they take from the Council of Trent the partum partum idea of how partly scripture, partly church, one is insufficient without the other, both together but alex seemed to be saying uh no the, the buck stops at the church they're the final authority and um yeah i was very surprised at how much he sort of uh, denigrated scripture I, I know he values scripture but it was very interesting to see um it, it actually coming out of emitting soul ecclesia as his stance um so that was that was one of the uh sort of shocking claims that he made <laughs> that night but um, yeah, so tonight we're going to kind of debrief that debate, kind of, um, you know, watch the, watch the debate. We were there, we're taking notes and everything. And uh, we, of course, talking about it the whole week. So we wanted to just kind of uh, give a little debrief on that, touch on some points that um, we noticed throughout the debate. So we'll do that uh, now. Anything you guys want to say before we kind of dive right in? No, I'm ready. I mean, yeah, I think we'll get into it as we get into it. All right, cool. So, yeah, so the first thing I wanted to talk about was um, he threw out a, uh, I mentioned several uh, church fathers from the, especially from the second century that were making sola scriptura claims, um, uh, like Athanasius and especially Athanasius. Um, so he threw out a, a quote from Augustine that I was familiar with, but not, I didn't have necessarily a response locked and loaded as far as expecting that, that quote to be thrown out, which I, I think I should have. And I really didn't like the way I answered, uh, which was basically, you know, I haven't read every word of Augustine, and which I haven't. So the, I want to know the context of, of this quote he threw out. So the quote he threw out from Augustine was, uh, I would not believe the gospel myself if the authority of the Catholic Church did not move me to do so. Mm. So, and that's, that's something that he, that he wrote. Uh, so the, what that implies, I think is, is first of all, a high respect of the church, a high, high view of the authority of the church. Um, and also that he would not believe the gospel if it wasn't for the authority of the Catholic church. So this is one quote from Augustine, um, kind of taken out of context. So Augustine, it, it needs to be admitted that Augustine was contradictory in his views. Mm. And that, that's pretty well documented in the Christian church, that Augustine uh, did have con conflicting, contradictory views and uh, doctrines. So B.B. Uh, Warfield actually said he defined the Reformation, he defined the Reformation as Augustine's doctrine of grace over Augustine's doctrine of the church. 
So it's this triumph of Augustine's doctrine of grace over Augustine's doctrine of the church. And those are two of the biggest conflicts that, that the contradiction that Augustine had with himself, uh, that between like his stuff about free will and grace and the authority of the church and the, the really you know Catholic part of it. Um, so, but, uh, but more than that, this, this, this quote seems to imply that that is how Augustine came to, came to Christ. It came to be a Christian, came to believe the gospel is that it was like dictated by the church or something, or the authority of the church was so great. And he just respected the authority of the church so much and that they were the ones speaking truth. And so he believed the gospel, but the story of Augustine's conversion is actually also pretty well documented. And it's the, um, the story of, uh, it's the phrase tole lege, tole lege, which means pick it up and read it. So that's kind of like the, the title of, of Augustine's conversion story, which the, his story, story is he grew up, his mother was a, uh, a Christian and was constantly trying to get him to sort of leave the worldly, uh, worldly ways that he was living in and um, become a Christian. And he was trying so hard through uh, Platonism and through different philosophies. And he was, he was a scholar of rhetoric and he was um, just a, a really smart guy uh, studied philosophy, but he was not a Christian. And it, it was, there was a time when he was uh, at his house or, or in a garden and he was, he just basically, he was just mourning. He was just crying and, and sobbing and weeping that he couldn't, no matter what he did, he could not live a good life. He knew he was not living how he ought to be, ought to be living. And he was being, especially dealing with sexual morality. It was one of the big things that he struggled with, but he just knew I cannot be good. I can't, I just can't be, I know what, what's good. I know what's right, but I just can't do it. And so he was just weeping and he was crying. And while he's crying, it said that he heard a voice say, tole lege, tole lege, which means pick it up and read it. And he heard a child's voice say, tole lege, tole lege, pick it up and read it. And there's, debate whether that was just in his head or something he imagined or there was a child on the other side of the wall in the garden because he's outside maybe saying it to somebody else or something i don't know but he heard that very clearly and then he picked up the bible and read as we are all probably one time or another did in our life flip open the bible and put our finger on a verse you know and then read that verse and that'll be something god's trying to tell me and he did that and he read romans 13 13 which says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And that, that struck so, home, so, so uh, near to him and just to his heart uh, because that, the, the context of, of Romans 13 is, is talking about how the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a good life and to, to follow Christ. So, and that's exactly what he was like weeping over is that he just couldn't be good of his own, of his own will right so that's how he became a christian that's his conversion story he became a christian that day and and you know the reason he becomes augustine so that so that's his actual conversion story he read scripture mm. right he, he read the bible and it, it, it could be assumed that he was familiar with it because it was right there apparently and that, that's kind of one of the things like why was there a bible right there like pick it up and read it so he must have been reading it or or had it had it handy so yeah, that's how that's Augustine's conversion story. It's how he became a Christian. So the quote implies that that the authority of the church compelled him to become a Christian. It's not actually the case. Of it's not actually 
Augustine's well-known, well-documented conversion story of the Tole Lege incident. So I just wanted to touch on that as far as responding to that quote. Um, yeah, and, and there, there is the Reformation, it's, it's maybe Warfield kind of hit on the head. The Reformation is uh, Augustine's doctrine of grace triumphing over Augustine's doctrine of the church. And that's, that's fair. I think the Reformation can really claim Augustine fairly um, in that regard. Um, so, yeah. And the other thing that kind of came, it wasn't necessarily in the debate, but it, it came out, uh, came out of the debate and the uh, discussion we were having on Facebook and the comments and stuff. Someone commented and, and said, brought up John 20, 22, which says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad and that they, and they saw the Lord. And it was, and it goes on to talk about how he breathed on them, right? He uh, breathed on the disciples and, and she was saying that that's uh, his, that's when Jesus, those churches, God breathed basically because he breathed on the disciples and they were inspired. They received the Holy spirit and that's true, but that's not, um, let's see. So I want to get the actual, what he says. Uh, then this, and so I was glad Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you in verse 22, when he, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So she was pointing to that and saying, look, the church is God breathed. He breathed on the disciples. They received the Holy spirit and they went out and, you know, shared, shared the gospel. And I, I was kind of ready for that one in, in the debate. And I'm surprised Alex didn't bring it up as far as the church being God breathed. Um, Cause that's what I was asking was like, what else is there that's God breathed? The scripture is the only thing that is theonostos breathed out by God. And um, so I was glad that, that this was one brought it up because I wanted to speak on that. It is true that Jesus breathed on his disciples. They were inspired. They were filled with the Holy spirit. They did their work of, in scripturation and the things they spoke were scripture and so that's why again one of the things i said sola scriptura is not is a denial that uh the scripture was at one time spoken that is true right so and this would have been the case when they were breathed on by god or breathed on by jesus it was god and uh inspired and then did their work on on you know at that time and wrote the bible right so they were inspired, breathed on, they were inspired, and then they died, right? So they were breathed on, they were inspired, they wrote scripture, and then they died, right? So where, what, what they're misconnecting is this connection between the apostles and what we have today. So the apostles were inspired, but that, that didn't continue. And there's no, there's no scripture or anything that to, to say that it did continue. So that's, that needs to be brought up is that, yes, I believe that they were inspired. Yes. I believe that they uh, were speaking the word of God. It, they were speaking scripture for the purposes of inscripturation during that time. And then they died. And now we have what they wrote because we don't have the conversations they had anymore. We don't have Paul. We don't have Peter talking and speaking anymore, but we have what they wrote. And that's, that's perfect. That, that is God breathed scripture. So and it's sufficient. And so that's, that's what I wanted to speak to that because there's, there's no indication that apostleship continued, right. Or that the, the godly inspiration 
of, of any, of any people continued after the apostles. So that's, I just wanted to touch on that and, and kind of address John 20 in that way. So, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll probably get some comments on that or <laughs> responses or anything. So, yeah, so those are kind of the two things I wanted to talk about from the debate. So, well, again, and it's, it's interesting how much, like, when you say, like, they died and there's no indication that it, that their authority or the apostleship carried on at all at any point. But the thing about the Catholic Church is that it's intrinsically dependent on the idea of that authority carrying on because there's so many doctrines they teach. Yeah, that cannot be found or supported or backed up by the scriptures at all. In any that way. came later. Yeah, yeah, much later. It's, I mean, <laughs> offensive comparison time. It's a lot like the Mormon Church, where you know a lot of the <laughs> doctrines have to be passed on by other apostles or prophets or presidents because they're not in the Bible. Like we needed these later editions to fill it out yeah. because they don't exist there. Yeah, which you know kind of gets into the point from him that i thought was the most and i i don't know if there's anybody who's catholic who is watching if you guys could tell us you know if this is a big deal but uh alex mentioned that you know there's a, a sort of schism in the church i guess who don't see the pope as the rightful pope which was really mind-blowing to me to, for him to just outright say that after you know spending an hour establishing the authority of the church and that they're the guardians of truth and they have authority handed out from the apostles but you can't trust the Pope. And, you know, that really started to unpack more from there. Cause if you can't trust the Pope, then you can't trust the Cardinals that elected him. And, you know, the admission again was, yeah, they're not Catholic either. So it's like, Whoa, that's crazy. Okay. So then we can't trust the people who elected the Cardinals. But what's interesting is what Abby found out today about who appoints the Cardinals before that. So, uh, why don't you get into that? Cause you did the research on it. Okay. So, um, I was going to say hey to some comments. I know Heather's on, Aaron's on, Ernie's on. I was going to say hey, guys. Thanks for watching. Uh, Josh, I think so, too. Um, just want to let you all know. We're glad you all are here. But um, other And my dogs. For some reason, they keep trying to get into this <laughs> live video. I'm like, I thought, I thought I'd be safe with just my dogs in here and not my kids, but apparently not. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So I was really – okay, first of all, I just want to be honest and open with the fact that I had no idea. Like, when I asked my question of, like, who was authoritative, I had no clue that they thought that the Pope was infallible and that he – I had no clue about that. And I, guess I really should have because half of my family is Catholic, but for – I'm not playing with you right now, Bella. but <laughs> sorry. But um, I remember when I was younger, my aunt took me to a Catholic church because my dad didn't go to church much. So my aunt took me and I followed my cousins and I went up to get communion and everything. And then I sat back down and she was like, you just went and got communion. And I was like, yes. And she was like, why did you do that? You didn't go through all the classes. And I was like, I'm never going to the Catholic church ever again. And I remember that, like from the time I was really little, I was like, I'm in so much trouble. I'm never doing this ever again. But, um, so I can say that I really, I, y'all two are very, a lot more knowledgeable on the subject about it, but I was shocked when he said that the Pope was infallible, but then I was also shocked when he said that he doesn't claim the Pope. So I was kind of doing some research, um, of the election of the Pope and it's called the conclave, which is, and I'm kind of reading off the notes here. So if I'm looking over here, there's a lot of, a lot of details, um, but it's held by the college of Cardinals and the Cardinals are put in place by the Pope. So the previous Pope put in these cardinals and it can be a number of 121, 120 people max, and they all have to be under 80 years old. And um, when they hold the conclave, it's 
held at the Sistine Chapel. And um, the last person that ever um, edited, I guess, or uh, revised the process to the whole system was Pope Benedict, which was not this Pope, but the last one. So to start with, they have two masters, um, two masters of ceremonies, and these are not um, part of the cardinals. And these people are only chosen to prepare and distribute the papers and the votes to the cardinals. Um, and then they're sent out of the church once the voting starts. The cardinals um, are then inside up to 120 each. I think with, um, let me see, I think with, uh, with Francis, it was only 115 cardinals, not 120. But um, okay, so the cardinals all get together. Then they choose nine cardinals total. And the nine cardinals, there's three that are called scrutiners. And these are the three voting judges. So they're the ones that are going to take all the votes from the current cardinals. And then there's the three that collect um, the votes from sick cardinals that are maybe in their, wherever they're at, um, wherever they're kept or whatever while they're voting. And then there's the revisers who their whole point is to check the scrutiners who are the three voting judges. So it's really a, a really good system. I mean, honestly, of check and balances, check and balances. You know what I mean? I mean, that's one thing I noticed. It really is a good system of check and balances because it'd be really hard to get get something through without everybody noticing. So um, since the 15th century, I found out that no uh, pope has been elected that wasn't already a fellow cardinal, which was kind of interesting to me yeah. because that means that the last pope that they're not claiming was also a cardinal, which means he was a bishop, which means he was appointed by the pope. So in essence, I mean, when you really think about it, if he says, this isn't my Pope, but then the people that elected him weren't my Pope, weren't Catholic, those people were also elected by the previous Pope, which would make the previous Pope also not Catholic. So it's kind of like how y'all were saying in the debate, like, where is the line drawn? But, um, yeah. Wow. So, con yeah, so to continue um, with the whole the whole process. Okay, so four rounds of balloting are taken daily with candidates, and they have to receive two-thirds vote in order to become the Pope. So it's usually two votes in the morning, two votes at night. So the cardinals fill out the ballot secretly. Then once they're finished, they walk to the altar, altar holding up folded ballots, and they have to say, I call as my witness Christ the Lord, who will be my judge, that my vote is given to the one who before God I shall be who, who the one I think before God shall be elected. So they're basically saying before Christ, he's going to be my judge. This is who I truly and honestly think should be elected. Um, and then he has to put it inside of a receptacle. So once the ballots are collected, the first scrutiner, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. It just looks <laughs> like I am. <laughs> he takes it, he takes it and he meshes it all up. And so then he counts how many, which I mean, like I said, it's so precise, like their, their whole title detail of how to elect a pope is so precise that it kind of blew my mind of how precise and how like on point they are with the, as opposed to like checks and balances and, you know, just, I don't know, making sure that no, no scams happen, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they put it inside the receptacle. They um, shake it all up. Then the first scrutiner counts and makes sure that it count, that it makes sure that it lines up with as many cardinals as there are that were voting. Then the, each one of them checks it, and the last one says it out loud. And then every single cardinal that's listening writes it down. 
And this is with every vote. And there's four votes a day. And you're waiting until you get to two-thirds. So let's get this. So if you don't get two-thirds vote, they take the ballots and they mix it with some chemical and they burn them and it makes a black smoke, which is oh. to signify, yeah, which is to signify that the Pope has not been chosen. Once they found, once they've reached two-thirds vote and the Pope accepts and he gets the Papal um, dress and he gets the Papal name, then they take the ballots and they add a chemical and it makes the smoke burn white, signifying that they found a new Pope. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thing I found was that, like like you said, Julian, the, the Pope elects the Cardinals. The Cardinals elect the Pope. So really, like when it comes down to it, it's just a complete circle of like, if you can't trust the Pope now, you can't trust the Cardinals then, then you can't trust the Pope before then then how do you trust the Cardinals that put the Pope in place before then? I mean, it just continually goes back and back and back. And yeah. that's, I think that's one thing that I might ask Alex or anybody really just on where they stand on that point. Well, so, so that, yeah, that was a question I had. So Cardinals elected Francis and Francis is going to uh, appoint Cardinals mm-hmm. that will elect the next pres- uh, Pope. Right. Or, okay, so it's like, so these, but, the Cardinals that elected Francis, well, they elect the next They were elected too? by Benedict, who was the last Pope. All of them? And or, he, or like, yeah. did, they, uh, did they elect Benedict too? No, I believe, I, from what I found, I think that Benedict elected these Cardinals, and then the Pope before elected the Cardinals before that. Okay. And I may be, I may, I may be wrong on that. So yeah. Stan, correct me. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah. someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's mm-hmm. just what I found so far, but it's kind of weird because, and I think that's kind of why a lot of Catholics say, well, this isn't my Pope and I asked my grandmother and she's Catholic and she's like, yeah, a lot of people don't like him, which is kind of random. Cause I mean, usually the Pope is the Pope, you know what I mean? Right. They're infallible, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I guess, I guess usually the Pope is the Pope until death and what Benedict resigned in 2013. Yeah. Mm-hmm which was kind of weird, but I also found a quote I was going to share with you guys, and it was um, from April 22nd, 2005, and it was from Pope Benedict, and he said, we are certain it is the eternal pastor who leads his flock with the power of his spirit and assures it in every age to the pastor whom he has chosen. (laughs) So if he's assuring it in every age, then that also means the Pope now. And, And at that point, like, if a Catholic, okay, and I don't mean offense to anybody, but if a Catholic is going to say, this isn't my Pope, then at some point in time, you have to ask, is the church really infallible or is something going on here? Yeah. And that's what Alex said was, he was saying that the true Pope exists and is out there, (laughs) but we have not found him or something. And it was very confusing and very like, so that that was a mistake I made was assuming that that Alex believes what the average Catholic believes mm. as far as the Pope, um, but yeah, and, and that's a thing that that Catholics like to claim is uh, a strong sense of unity. That you know, look at look at Protestants. There's thousands and thousands of denominations, and sola scriptura is the roadmap to chaos. And look, you just you all reading the Bible differently, and you you have no unity. And they're all believing different things. So us Catholics, we all believe the same thing. It's like, well, apparently not on some pretty big issues. <laughs> well, on the main <laughs> right. issue, the, the like head the of the pope. church. Yeah, yeah, like, and that's not to say that you know, oh, I don't like this pope or this pope is doing bad things. It's he was elected by the magisterium of the church. 
that that's what can't be overlooked is that cardinals bishops college whatever you go back as far as you can we're talking about the magisterium of the church or we're not right mm-hmm. we're talking about either the infallible church put whatever office put whatever name put whatever titles to to that whatever you're talking about you're talking about the the magisterium of the church the authority of the church and a decision however that's come, come to be made and we're, we're learning about it now is somewhere is infallible means infallible right and right. infallible doesn't mean well mostly right or like we get <laughs> a, we're two-thirds right you know or something well, i mean when he when he right. made that point it would be like if you came on and said we believe in sola scriptura but I don't really like Ephesians, so I don't count that. Like, <laughs> yeah. it was that kind of correlate? It was package like, deal. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. all or nothing. Yeah, which to be fair, to be honest, a lot of Christians don't. They'll say the Bible is, is true and everything, but then they'll say, well, yeah, we don't really know about that part. Or, yeah, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, the, especially, you know, as we talk about the law, well, that doesn't right. really count. You know, hey, we could probably be guilty of the same thing of like, look, is God's law holy and right or not? Right. And then we're up over here you know parsing it out splitting chopping it up how we want to and what, what meanwhile claiming sola scriptura mm-hmm. you know so that's a you know kind of look in the mirror for ourselves it's like look we're gonna believe this we gotta believe it you know whole package or mm-hmm. not so I, I don't know yeah. i think i think i kind of disagree with you solomon just a little Ooh, bit on that okay <laughs> only because um i really feel like there's a time and a place for like the mount sinai for the a laws given like for the laws <laughs> For the laws given to Moses on, yeah, a time and place, perfect, perfect place. <laughs> <laughs> but um, just like for the laws given to oh. Moses, that of course, like I think that, I think without a doubt, we should always be able to learn from and reference those laws. But I don't necessarily think that all of those laws pertain to our lifestyle now. Yeah. Right. Well, what I mean, essentially, what we're talking about is a hermeneutic, like. How, how do you take the totality of scripture on the basis that it is odd breathing right. inspired? Okay. Right? So like As, you're saying, you can't just say like, okay, this doesn't count. So it doesn't really matter. Right. You're saying exactly. it all matters. Right. Right. Okay. I'm with you. Sorry. As opposed to I where, you know, you. the thing that came out from the, the debate was, well, this Pope doesn't count. Like what, what? Okay. And the election is corrupt and these Cardinals aren't really Catholic. Like I'm with you. I yeah. misunderstood. I'm sorry. It was, it was you know, like, but Thomas Jefferson we, taking a we, razor blade to his Bible. Yeah. Just for everybody watching. We disagree on yeah. stuff. All three of us, we don't agree on on everything entirely, and we're we're still figuring things out. We're still studying and learning and and uh, figuring things out. If you if y'all can see our our text chat, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you would see uh, a more heated debate than <laughs> than anything <laughs> you've seen on here yet. So maybe we should have we should have uh, an episode where we just like debate each other in hot <laughs> hash it out <laughs> yeah just hash it out me and julian yeah. are going round and round yeah and 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 it's great because julian doesn't know when to shut up i know when i just refuse to accept it we, we were all debating and solomon just kind of got quiet and then we're like where are you at solomon he's like i've been married long enough to know when to shut up shut up <laughs> well so let, let's, let's explain that because that, that's fun uh so we were talking about and, and this is what you were talking about abby and i, and I know what you're talking about as soon as you said you disagree with me i knew what you're talking about as far as uh the law and the package deal and the whole thing um and the time and place for certain things and one of the things we were talking about was um multiple wives in the old testament and how Mm -hmm. 
Julian and I were convinced mainly by just what we've heard from, you know, traditions and, and things without actually studying it, that uh, it was a sin and it was wrong and it was against God's law to have multiple mm-hmm. wives, right? We saw, you know, we were looking at different things as far as like uh, God's design in the garden, Adam and Eve, one man, one woman, you know, uh, you shall leave your father and mother and cling to your wife and, you know, qualifications of an elder, husband of one wife, you know. We were basically inferring right. law from design. Yeah. So inferring. Yeah. And so, and Abby was saying, well, there's no, I was saying, there's no law saying thou shalt take another wife or something. Right. And, and Abby was saying, well, there's no law saying do not take a wife, uh, multiple wives. And there was, there was laws within of how to treat your, your second wife and things. And so we were talking about that and I, <laughs> I sent an article. I found. I did a quick little Google search and read a headline and didn't, didn't read it. I saw John Piper agrees with me. Multiple wives. John Piper will agree. So I just sent it to, just shot it over to Abby and was like, "Look, read this." And she read it and she finds. She was saying, for a certain time, it was uh, there were reasons and purposes for this institution of multiple wives. Right, why it was allowed. Of, why it was allowed. <laughs> For this time and place which is exactly what abby was saying it's like thanks for proving my point so you know what makes me angry the, the thing that makes me the most angry is that and she sends done. it back to out. you she sends it back to you highlighted that's the part that, that irritates me the most just like, thank you yeah. <laughs> like rub your nose in it's like, oh like, so then i was done i was like all right well that shut me up the only way it could have been better is if you had sent a youtube video check out this youtube video yeah so yeah don't try yeah, to was... be wrong with an article she will read it and find <laughs> but you know even even our in-house debates which what's interesting about them is that we're we're all coming to the table with the idea that this has to be based on the foundation of the bible right like we have different opinions on how we look at it and what it should be and what it says and what, you know, bearing it has right now, but it's always like, well, we can't get it from anywhere, but the scripture, this is the authority that we have. This is the only word from God that we have. We have to take it from here. That's the only way this works. But I mean, apparently if the, if there is a, a dissension in the Catholic church, that same reverence they have for the church doesn't carry over into this area. Like it, it suddenly becomes, yeah. At that point, it becomes not solely ecclesia, but uh, whatever your own opinion. You're your own highest authority. Because, like, well, yeah. I don't accept this pope. Well, but he was elected by the church. Well, I don't accept their election. But I thought they were the highest authority. Well, now right. I'm saying they're not. No. Right. So then it goes from sola ecclesia to sola solo. Sola solo. Yeah. <laughs> Just solo. <laughs> uh, I know. I did. Hey, I, I did. A, I, want, I want to say this. I, I did a debate on Sola Scriptura, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Oh, that's such a good design. <laughs> I, want, I actually ordered this before the debate, and I wanted to wear it during the debate, but it didn't came, came like the next day. <laughs> Great, of course. That guy who designed those, he did a, a the Story of Redemption Bible that has a bunch of designs like that in it from oh, chapter cool. to chapter, kind of brought yeah. it up. I haven't gotten that one. I'm trying not to buy it because I bought the well, – I didn't buy it. I got it for Christmas. The Illuminated Bible? Oh yeah, which I just pulled awesome. over. Oh, it's great. Is that the one that. where you can like color in it? Yes, but I don't because it's so pretty That's already. Right. Like I can't. Yeah, if anyone's gonna color in it, you should color in it. No, That's I don't trust. True. It's too. It's true. too nice looking. Do you all no, that's what it's there for. I do. Yeah, I, yes. I, think, I write all in it. Me too. I don't. 
I will never use a highlighter because I'm not a 13-year-old girl, but I will use a black what? pen. What's wrong? Underline... I'm a 13-year-old girl, apparently. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> apparently. It's fine. No, a lot of people highlight. I even have to carry around, see, I even have to carry around like my study Bible plus my journaling Bible so I can have a place to write, but then a place to have like the study notes, you know? There's some really nice journaling ones from Crossway where they have like a single column of of text in the middle and then two big gutters on the side that are just perfect. And they'll have, they'll have the book of John, the ESV book of John by itself itself in one slim volume. Yeah, and it's really cool if you're uh, like if your church is going through John, you can just kind of have that, and then it has like journal notes on the side, like lines on the side that you can do. So, but like do pencil yeah. because one time I like was reading Revelation, <laughs> and then I was like taking notes, and I was like, "Ooh, this is good, this is good." But then I heard another sermons on Revelation, and I'm like, "Oh, this is better. How do I cross all this out?" Like, <laughs> Get to go buy a new Bible just to make <laughs> yeah. new notes. I gotta go you're, try again. You're like, I'm post mill now. <laughs> <laughs> No, Race not, yet. Huh? Not, not yet. yet. Not yet, I'm but not you'll with, get there. I'm not with we'll you get yet. You. You'll get there. <laughs> you know, well, I'll get you. <laughs> well, probably not, though. Are you going to suck us to the middle? Like, okay, so Amil. Amil is the, is the I, you know, I was talking about this at church the other day. Amil is like the, the lukewarm middle. Like, what? We don't, no. you know, we're not pre-mill. We're not post-mill. We're Amil. It's like, <laughs> no millennium. You know, we're, no. we're before millennium. We're after the millennium. There's no millennium. That's just... No, it's it's opposite. It's like we're not pre-mill, we're not post-mill, we're ah-mill. I know. It's... That is it. Like that's the one. But I would say the I would say the opposite of post-mill, the, the polar opposite of of post post-millennialism is premillennialism, right? And, and vice okay. versa. But what's the opposite of amillennialism? Nothing. Awesome. I mean, terrible. The problem I had with amillennialism for a long time was it sounded a lot like postmillennialism, so I couldn't tell the difference, yeah. like in practice. I was like, I don't understand why they're not the same thing. Yeah, I still kind of don't understand why they're not the same thing. Well, the, yeah. the big difference is the the Christianization of the world, which is another mm. thing that Abby stumped me on uh, with that of like, oh, so narrow is the gate in. And uh, why is the yeah. path of destruction? Yeah, yeah. So is it gonna is the gate going to widen? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's really annoying. That. You know, it's really annoying when you say something with such confidence that you're like, obviously, yeah. and then someone says, oh, but well, what about this? And then you're like, well, nope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't have a response right now. Yeah. So yeah, but we'll, we will have a post millennial or a Ooh. eschatology episode. But, um, oh, hold yeah. on, I'm stepping out for I a second. Sorry, I, yeah. my mom. My mom just texted me and said she thought this was about RC. I don't think we ever said this is about RC Sproul. So, mom, you're crazy. You're crazy girl. Say Roman Catholicism. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Do you think it's RC Sproul? Why do you say RC? I'm like, no one ever said that, mom. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know i'm just gonna miss the whole thing enjoy it's this. fine it's fine enjoy this because it doesn't happen often so so okay I'll, she just I'll sent tell, me I'll an tell. all text roman catholic abby Sorry. said abby said my mom's saying i thought this was about rc <laughs> and we never said it was about rc scroll <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite thing about abby is that she doesn't know uh christianese yeah. to a super it's true it's true it's so true 
So there's a lot of text talk where it's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, okay, let me go look up what that means. And then like five minutes later, it's like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, for sure. Well, but then she, she won't just look up what it means. She'll like come back as an expert on it. <laughs> and that's what's frustrating. It's like, well, now you know more. I threw it out there. And now you know more about than I do. Well, she reads. I don't read. That's yeah. the yeah. I, I read little little bits of books. I can't yeah. seem to finish one, though. It's fine. <laughs> That's we'll get what, there. Yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> Speaking of books, guys both need to. I read this to get ready, ready for uh, the debate. Well, I actually read three books. I read this one uh, and this one from Doug Wilson. I want to get that one for Papa sure. Don't Pope. <laughs> and uh, this one uh, from Roman Catholic Sproul. <laughs> <laughs> RC Sproul. I heard this one. So all three really great <laughs> books for uh, pro- like good good resources for um, uh, Protestant Christians. They're all Protestant Christians that wrote these books, but uh, really good resources. And they don't all agree. They don't all pretty much right. say the same thing. So uh, there's actually a debate between James White and Doug mm-hmm. Wilson on uh, whether or not Roman Catholics are our brothers. Yes. Uh, James White against Doug Wilson for. So that's very interesting that that in itself you know are catholics christians you know that if you want to talk about getting offensive you right. know that's that's a that's a big question um i would say just like to kind of gear us back onto roman catholicism i would say that you or rc that, yeah back to rc roman catholic <laughs> <laughs> so i would say uh you can be catholic and a christian despite your despite the teachings mm. of the church right. right so if you believe you are a sinner in need of a savior and christ is that savior uh and you put your faith in him and he's the only way to god uh that i mean you know it, but but do I, they believe he's the only way to god i think that's my question and I, it's yeah. a sincere question do mm-hmm. they believe he's the only way to god they or do they believe yeah go ahead Oh, I'm just asking, like, or do they yeah. believe that Mary and the saints are right up there with Christ? Or do they believe that, like, Christ is right here and then it's, Mary and the saints Yeah, go? it's tiered. It's like God, Christ, Mary, and then everyone else kind of under here. So what do they do? Like, I know that, that most believe that Mary is, um, was like a virgin forever, right? Yeah, perpetual virgin. So, so what do they do with all the scripture talking about Jesus' brothers? They were cousins or other relatives. Like or... we're brothers. Since right. Yeah, you know. exactly. Gotcha. Like They were brothers. family, but they weren't brothers in gotcha. that sense. Okay. Well, and it does – I can't remember the reference right now, but it, it does say Joseph did not uh, lay with Mary until Christ was born. Right. Which would imply that he did after Christ was born. Right. That they actually consummated their marriage. I mean, that's part of right. that. I mean, just what you said, consummated their marriage. That's part of the yeah. concept of marriage in that time yeah. period was you had to consummate it for it to be a legitimate marriage. Yeah. And I know some of the arguments were like, well, you don't have to have sex to be married. That's true. Like, there's people get into accidents or something and then, you know, they physically can't. And right. so, but they're still married. Yes, that's true. But the, if, if there's no, no, nothing impeding on that. Uh, that is a vital part of marriage, uh, yeah. especially back then of consummating that marriage to becoming one. Um, I mean, that, that is just implied in that. So yeah. And, and he did abstain from having sex with Mary. Joseph did uh, to, so no one could say he, that, jo- that Jesus was his son. 
right? So that's I mean, basically there's no reason to assume that they didn't, except for this doctrine that comes from the church. That's the only yeah. reason to think they didn't. Yeah, and I know y'all are gonna. So y'all are gonna talk about. Uh, we haven't scheduled it yet, but we do have a debate between Julian and Alex by Alex request mm-hmm. again to come back on, which I I'm really glad that he felt you know, welcome enough. And yeah, yeah, that the conversation was beneficial enough for him to come back on. That is really great. And he did, he does want to come back on and and have a debate about the Marian doctrines of the Catholic church. So Julian uh, will be having a debate with Alex on, on specifically the Marian doctrines of the church. Um, uh, What end of March, maybe something like that. End of March. Yes. Uh, Specifically is Mary, the mother of God. Yeah, that's the specific one. So that's going to that's what so. as we're talking about Catholicism tonight, I did, I was wondering how much you wanted to kind of get into the Marian doctrines or just kind of save that for some other time. Or yeah, something. I mean, but, well, the thing with the Marian doctrine, just thinking about it, the way, even I was talking about it a little bit, like when you start talking about the Marian doctrines, you start getting into the idea of the Trinity, you start getting into the idea of the hypostatic union, like it, yeah. it gets so big. It goes on, this on one and little, on. Yeah. And which I think well, that's kind of what I'm hoping we get out of that debate too, is that understanding what they believe about Mary kind of tells us also what they believe about the Trinity, what they believe about the nature of Christ and what and kind of all of that. So you get yeah. a little more review out of that. His divine nature and his human nature mm-hmm. and the, the separation and distinction between those two or the connection of those right. two, meaning like the body is holy. That's what he was kind of talking to us about Facebook is like the flesh is God. Mm. and 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 my i had a question i haven't asked alex yet but maybe i'll get into it is what part of jesus was human right if not his flesh flesh got tired his flesh got hungry his flesh felt pain and was broken like those are none of those are characteristics of god right so that's his part of his human nature so understand they believe he has human nature and divine nature one person two natures but those two natures are connected to the point where there's no human nature, it seems like, you know, and that leads into the mass where the, they take the Eucharist, you know, the communion, taking that literally as the, as the body and blood of Christ, um, which I think is one of the most gospel detrimental, the gospel in, in, Mm -hmm. in in the Catholic church. So this is what you're talking about, Abby, as far as like, do you believe Jesus is, is your savior and he died on the cross for you? Is, and, and it was sufficient. And I think that's something that, that is, that's a gospel. That, that you can it be, can, be can it be gospel. sufficient? Can it be sufficient if you still have to go to purgatory? Or if you have to go to Catholic mass every Sunday and Christ has to die again in the body and blood of, of the, of the communion. And, and, yeah. it's, and so Christ, that's why Jesus is on the cru- on the crucifix continually. They don't have an empty cross. They put on the wall. They have Jesus on the cross because he is the perpetual victim. His job is to just die all the time. It's not this conquering hero saving his people. It's just this whipping boy who, who <laughs> I know I'm being super offensive right now, but that's, <laughs> that's my understanding of the communion and the Eucharist is that the, the priest, even John O'Brien even writes about the Catholic writer I mentioned in the debate too, writes about this, how God humbly obeys the priest and comes down every mass and every, every communion for, to, for his literal body and literal blood to be shed again. And so Jesus is just this, his only purpose is to die and over and over, over, and, and, over, over and over and over again. And John O'Brien was even saying, I, it's in here. I wanted to talk about that with the mass. Uh, he's saying, uh, so John O'Brien in the, in the book, Faith of Millions, which is just huge. I, 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 as far as I understand, Faith of Millions is like desiring God or like mere Christianity for Catholics. Okay. It's like a big, a big 
book for them. Um, it says, and the priest brings Christ down from heaven and renders him present on our altar as the eternal victim for the sins of man, not once, but a thousand times. The priest speaks and lo, Christ, the eternal and omnipotent God, bows his head in humble obedience to the priest's command. That's insane. Like, I know that's not, that's not, that's not a, from the Council of Trent or anything, but that, I mean, that's, this is what Catholics believe. Right. Um, and he says, well, and, you know, that's a question too. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can get into, because um, oftentimes when you talk to members of other religions, they may not be up on every doctrine, you know, like if you bring up a yeah. point and they haven't thought, how, how much of that do you think, how versed in their own doctrines do you think the Catholic, modern, average Catholic is? None. I think they're discouraged from it. Not. Yeah. Yeah. They just, they do what they are told. I mean, it's just, it's tradition. You know what I mean? Like I've asked my grandma, who's like old, like, why do you do what you do? I mean, you just, you just do it. Like you just do it. Mm -hmm. You do it because that's what we're taught and that's what we do. And what's the, what's the response you get from your Catholic family for asking questions? I mean, (laughs) don't forget to say it on here. But. Don't bring up that bull. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like, yeah, that's the, know, my my mom grew up Catholic as well. If my dad's on here, I'm sorry, Dad. Don't you <laughs> that at me. <laughs> well, my, you know, I get the same stories from my mom. My mom grew up Catholic, and she had you know, plenty of stories where she was reading, learning, wanted just ask questions like, "Hey, what's this? Hey, why do we do this? Hey, what you know, just innocent questions, not trying." not trying to contend or prove the priest wrong or anything or get into any debates or whatever, just a kid learning and asking questions. And it was met constantly. She says with, you, you know, if you're, if you don't want to be here, then, you know, you don't need to be, you know, it was very hostily and with, with a lot of hostility right. and just like, just, just don't just be quiet, just stop, you know? Mm. And I think that right. comes from a lot of ignorance, but again, to be fair, that happens a lot in evangelical churches and Protestant right. churches. And it's the basis for this whole podcast we're doing right now, the time and place, because, you know, churches don't usually have want to answer hard questions like right. predestination and, you know, the eschatology and stuff like we just don't, and a lot of it comes from ignorance and a lot of it comes from just, you know, that's going to be a whole series or what does it have to do about Jesus? And, mm-hmm. you know, but it's in the Bible. It has to do with the whole, entire Bible is about Jesus. Right. You know, the, the eschatology, the predestination, the Nephilim, all about Jesus. It, it all points to Jesus in some way. So it, you can't just, you know, like you said, it's a package deal. Take some, leave some, and just, well, this is really easy to fit into the gospel <laughs> box. So I'm going to, we're going to focus on that, you know, rather than right. like, well, I don't know how, how eschatology and post-mill and all-mill, what does that have to do? We're just fighting with each other. Let's not talk about that. And I, I think that's a bad move. And I think that's kind of the mindset it seems to be of the Roman Catholic church of like, well, we don't, we're not going to get in just, we just do it right. You know, we've been doing it for a thousand years. So let's just, you know, don't rock the boat kind of thing. So. And I mean, that kind of, you know, mentality in, in modern America can't sustain like in, in the cultural context that we're living in now, that idea of like, just don't ask questions. It's fine. We just do this because we do it is like, it can't last. Yeah. Like, a church built on that kind of idea with those kind of people and those kind of teachers will not stand up to the scrutiny and the pressure from the modern world that they're putting on. And they'll just right. change. And that's what we're seeing with the Catholic church now is just a lot of liberalism, a lot of, um, especially with Pope Francis, the most liberal Pope they've ever had. Um, He's not their Pope. 
<laughs> not some. Hashtag not my pope. <laughs> not my pope. Well, when you were describing it, it was just weird how much it sounds just like politics because it's just the the guy before appointed these guys. You mm -hmm. get hired. You get you get the job. You hire all your friends. Yeah. Uh, and you you know your policies carry on. Yeah, it so, sounds like appointing Supreme Court justices, but right, then yeah. they get to like vote for a president or something. Mm -hmm. I don't. What is uh, Joan has commented and says, look up. Eucharist. I, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Eucharist. Eucharist miracles. And I'm not sure what that is. Do you guys know what that is? That's the communion. Um, it's the bread and the wine. The Eucharist. I mean. But what, uh, what miracles? Uh, I, mean, I wouldn't know any, but I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they have some. Okay, thing, Joan, I mean, maybe expand on that just a little bit so, so we can answer. Miracle. I, I, you know, just to get this out of the way, because that it does come up a little bit. Alex kind of brought it up too in the debate when he was like, you know, the Catholic Church has thousands of documented miracles and blah blah blah. Miracles are not the standard for correct doctrine. Uh, that's why in Deuteronomy it says that even if somebody does have signs and wonders, but they lead you after other gods, not to pay them attention. Yeah. So having miracles is not the stamp right. of I have all the doctrine correct because I can do amazing things. Like that's not how we base that. And isn't there a verse where Jesus is talking about like if they don't, uh, it's something about if they didn't believe this, the prophets and the law, then they won't believe. The Even if someone raises I can't from remember. Death. Yeah. 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 So and then, it, also uh, said, it also like, did we cast out demons? Did we prophesy in your right. name? He says, apart from me, I never yeah. knew you. you That's know? crazy. Right. I was thinking about that today. Like cast out yeah. demons. Like they yeah. cast out demons and we're still. Yeah. That's, but did that's, they really? Like I was watching the show Outlander last night. And the, 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 sorry. And the preacher was all like, I'm casting out this demon. And then the girl was like, no, he was poisoned because he ate this leaf. And he was yeah. like, no, it's a demon. So, I mean, like, what, what, yeah. and I mean, I know that's kind of like a fake TV show, but like, where's yeah. the balance in that? Well, Benny, and I'm not, and I'm Benny not saying Hill. that, yeah. And I'm yeah. not saying that like demons can't possess people because I, I believe that they can. Right. I'm just saying like, where's the line in, um, you know, sickness and you thinking that someone's possessed by a demon. Yeah. My mom was saying that uh, many in our family disowned my Uncle Scott when he left the church, which is interesting. I didn't know that, but it kind of reminds me of Scientology. You know what I mean? Like your family is told to just be done with you once right, you disconnect. leave Scientology. Yeah, disconnect. Well, I, you know, somebody I know is kind of a funny story, kind of also a sacrilegious story. Uh, when they were younger, one of their older cousins who had gone through communion classes snuck out a piece of the piece of the host and was like hey guys let's all you want to taste it so you know because they hadn't gone through communion class so they couldn't take it and uh so they all you know ate it just to see what it was like and she's telling this story years later as an adult and her parents were like offended by it even though they're not <laughs> practicing catholics like the idea of it is so ingrained in them that this is a holy thing that they were still offended that they did that even though they don't really believe in any like practical life way that it was actually holy or special or anything right so like there's a i i don't know i'm growing up with it i guess i still like right like we're talking about writing in your bible that was a hard one for me to break from growing up like fundamentalist baptist like you don't write in your bible it's holy and sacred or whatever yeah oh really yeah oh yeah big time yeah wow. you didn't write it you can't actually yeah. <laughs> I, I remember i remember going to kansas and like going to like wherever the nuns live where is it and my sister got like a whole blessed bunny and it was like a blessed bunny because the, the nuns gave it to her. <laughs> a real bunny? Yeah, a blessed bunny, not just a oh, bunny. Oh, that's kind of cool. It was a blessed bunny. <laughs> oh, man. 
<laughs> do anything or like <laughs> did it funny? do tricks it was blessed <laughs> it could <laughs> i mean it could pardon sin it was blessed you're not blessed <laughs> yeah the rabbit is if yeah. you have the rabbit that rabbit's blessed. going to heaven yeah. <laughs> you will see, yeah, we'll see. If, if it was given the chance to be a cardinal it would have picked the right pope that's all i'm saying <laughs> yeah so one thing that that we're talking about the eucharist talk about communion one thing that i misunderstood for a long time was um you know the idea of transubstantiation where so roman catholics believe and we're just going to say that I, look we're not scholars we're not like just whatever we're saying that this is what roman catholics believe we have a we have some understanding of what roman catholics believe are we exactly accurate on every single doctrine of of every council no so come talk to us leave a comment and, and we'll and we'll interact but i'm just going to say roman catholics believe that the the, the bread and the wine become the literal body and the literal blood of Christ as it, as you consume it. Right. So I, I understood that to being, so my, I had a, I had a question of like, okay, so what if someone takes communion and dies and we do an autopsy on them right then? And was this after you read V for Vendetta or was this before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, and will we find the flesh and the blood of Christ inside that person that was my question like we open up their stomach are we going to find jesus actual skin and body right and blood in there you know as before it's digested before whatever and so that i'm really glad i never get, really got the chance to actually ask that question or like bring that up because <laughs> uh that's not I, I, it's apparently not the case so i was reading in this book by roman catholic scroll uh are we are we together forever Forever, forever Roman Catholic school. RC. I'll be right back. So he was talking about the Lord's Supper, and he's talking about it. He says uh, the concepts of the the concepts of substance, as defined in the Roman Catholic Church, borrows from the philosophical terminology of the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle, who distinguished the substance and the accidents of an object. I might be saying that accidents mm. wrong. The substance is the essence of a thing, and the accidents are the external perceivable qualities of that object its outward appearances. It says that if I look at a chair, I cannot see the essence of it, the atoms or the molecules, because they're too small for me to perceive, perceive them with my naked eye. But I can see the color, the shape, the texture, and other external qualities of the chair. It says in the Eucharist, there is bread and wine, the substance of bread and wine, and the accidents of bread and wine are present. According to Rome, in the miracle of the mass, at the prayer of consecration, the substance of the elements is transformed supernaturally the substance of the elements is transformed supernaturally into the substance of the body and blood of Christ. But the accidents of bread and wine remain. The bread still looks like bread, tastes like bread, feels like bread, and smells like bread. Mm. So it says if the, if the priest drops it on the floor, it makes a sound like a piece of bread hitting the floor. But it is not bread. The substance of it, the essence of it, has been supernaturally transformed to the body, the flesh of Jesus Christ. So... If you were, if someone were to take communion and transubstantiation happens in there and it's in their stomach and you open them up, you're going to see bread and you're going to see wine. So it's the perceivable, it's the, uh, substance, right. Uh, the, the accidents is what is all you're ever going to see this is the external. When you look at a chair, you see a chair, you don't see the molecules, you don't see the atoms, you see a chair. Right. And so that's, so it's like the molecules of a chair changing. It's the, it's the atoms of a chair changing. And you don't see that. It'll always just look like a chair. Same with the bread and wine. What you see and perceive at any level will look like uh, 
bread and wine in, in, in just the normal bread and wine. Mm-hmm. But the, the accidents, uh, right. the, the substance of it changes to the actual blood and flesh of Christ. So that to me sounds like a cop out. It sounds like, <laughs> so can we prove that this is, you know, actually turning into blood and in, 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 in flesh of Christ? Nope. No matter what you do, you cannot prove it. It's just a, we're saying it and that's how it happens. So that was a, a very interesting thing. And that comes from, I, I, you know, I was looking up. And so in this book, he talks, you know, James White talks about um, where do they get this? Like what, what, you know, what are they base this on? So, and that comes from John 6, 53 through 57. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of, the, of man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me. And I live because of the father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. So this is where they're getting sort of a literal understanding right. of the bread and wine of, of it literally being, being the, the, the flesh and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> which is interesting. So if any Catholic points you to John six scripture to prove one of their doctrines, I mean, that's sola scriptura right there. They're, right. they're practicing right. it. They're taking the scripture to prove truth, which is exactly what I think we should do. I believe they're misinterpreting this, however. Right. So, and, and why I think, the, I think so is they're taking this literally. So a literal, tra- yes. a, a literal interpretation is, is always going to be uh, give or take, <laughs> you know. So it says in John 10, literally this means, so Jesus claims to be the door of the sheep in John 10. Literally this means Jesus is a door replete with hinges, knob, and maybe even a lock. No one believes that, right? So in, in, let's talk about, you know, um, in John 10, 11, he's, or John eight twelve, he's the light of the world. In John ten, he's the good shepherd. In John fifteen, he's the true vine. Jesus is not literally the sun in the sky, a shepherd of sheep, or a living vine. Yet all these descriptions tell us something about Jesus when they are taken according to the plain intention of the text as symbols. So there's a lot of symbolism there, and I do know the Council of Trent said if you take this, if you take the Eucharist as only in remembrance and not as the literal blood and flesh of Christ, it would be anathema. You know, like if you that could, you're wrong if you don't take it as literal um, blood and uh, flesh and blood of Christ. Um, yeah, so that's that's where they're getting this. Um, but Jesus talks a lot about the the true bread of heaven and, and the you know uh, come to me and you're not thirst anymore. So John six, Jesus then said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven." But it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. So again, what? you see this idea of bread being the, the, the life and the Jesus is the bread, the true bread. What? While you're in John six, I know Joan keeps saying, read John six one. Will you read that? Cause I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. John six, six one. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd. So this is Jesus feeds the 5,000, which I'm, I'm glad. So this is what, it, yeah, so this is kind of where this is going as far as, uh, you know, I, in John 6, 34, 35 says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. Um, 
So in John uh, 6, 47, 51, it says, bread also, which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh, right? So that's, that's kind of where they're, they're getting this, um, this idea that, that the bread is his flesh and that's what he's offering. Um, and then even in, in 652, it says, then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So they're like confused about this. Because they're taking um, it literally. They're taking it literally. Um, and, and you're saying that's how, that's how Catholicism takes it too. I'm a little confused on this. I'm sorry. Yeah, literally they take it to the transubstantiation to be literally the, the blood and flesh of Christ again, dying and the blood, the, the body again, being broken a thousand times over again. Um, that, that it's, can, like it's continually the body and blood is being shed all the time. So that's why they take the Eucharist. <clears throat> okay. So, um, I'm going to jump off. Can y'all still hear me? Cause I'm looking yeah, up a verse real quick. I'm yeah. looking up a verse real quick on my phone. Um, cause isn't there, isn't there a verse specifically in Hebrews that talks about he's not offered continually? Yes, it, it is. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's in here as well. James White goes to Hebrews nine, um, 14, 10 through 14, but this will, but this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all and every, and every, yeah. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet for by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And I think if, if we had a really like understanding of what the Old Testament priests went through, that maybe we would understand that a little bit more. Because as an Old Testament priest, you would have to continually offer sacrifices daily. Yeah. And then not only daily, but then you would have your yearly sacrifices. And you would have your day, you know what I mean? You would have sacrifices. That would be the majority of your life as a Levitical priest in the Levit- Levitical priesthood. So I think that yeah. maybe... Um, you know, I think, I think sometimes is our, um, I can't, I don't know the word discontent, maybe with the old Testament of so many, so many years of being like told, like, that doesn't matter, mm, you know, yeah. like maybe one reason why we are so separated from what Christ is truly like as our high priest and why that's so significant that one time he can offer himself one time that sacrifice was good for everybody forever. Those being sanctified instead right. of continually having to offer over and over and over yeah that was something that somebody else commented the same person that brought up that jesus breathed on the disciples and that means the church is god breathed Uh that that same person on facebook said um she she was talking about how look at the old testament and how moses was given a certain authority and uh there was a priesthood there and and that we're under the priesthood and abby maybe you can speak to this more too but uh yeah like the the, this this idea of the priesthood and that authority she's saying and that chair that moses chair that authority that office was passed down all the way down to the new testament with the pharisees and and which is really strange to to go to the pharisees as (laughs) right authority and in into the into the new testament as as this the church had authority and then that was passed on from judaism to christianity and that being the apostles and then of course peter you know upon this rock i shall build my church and it's the foundation of truth so uh but so in response to that i went to uh hebrews 8 1 through 6 uh which says 
Now, the point in what, in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty of heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has received a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. So he is our high priest, and, and he doesn't even come from the... the, the uh, line of uh levi the of the priest right. of, of that line he comes from melchizedek which is before abraham which is older mm. and higher so uh, jesus yeah, is i think our, abraham gave tithes to melchizedek yeah, yeah. so that so yeah. the idea of a priesthood and authority jesus is our priesthood and our authority and that is the what? second person of the trinity the word become flesh and the scripture that we have in the bible so let me ask you guys this because joan just asked and i, I don't want to speak for you so you guys can kind of clarify your own position uh, she said, don't all Protestants take the Bi take all of the Bible literally? No. Right. <laughs> so just clarifying, uh, I, I would never call myself a literalist in that sense, that every verse is a literal truth. So it's I like truth. How, yeah, yeah. I, I like how uh, Doug Wilson put it one time. He said, I do not believe the Bible is 100% literal, but I do believe the Bible is 100% true. Mm. And, and, and that's, it's not literal. There's, there are plenty of parables and symbols, and, and I think it's apparent uh, in the context and of scripture, what's supposed to be taking literally and what's supposed to not be taking again, you know, John 10, Jesus is not a door, right. you know? <laughs> so it, and that's, he does not, you know, he owns the cat, the cattle on a thousand Hills. Okay. Is that like a literal, he only right. owns the cattle? thousand Hills. So I don't go yeah, to those cattle. You know, right. so there's, there's plenty, especially in revelation. So symbolic, so, uh, representative, um, metaphorical, all, all kinds of things. So no, Protestants do not believe the Bible is all literal. They and it's I'm not sure. True. I don't know what she meant um, when she said the first mass was celebrated at the last supper. I've, I've never heard that. Yeah. So maybe if you could expand on that a little bit, Joan, I've, I've never heard that. So maybe. So, could... I, so I'm, I'm assuming he's talking about Matthew 26, 26 through 28, which is really great because I was going to go there next. Um, says, while they were eating, Jesus took, so this is Matthew 26, 26 through 28. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, uh, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. So this is Jesus at the Last Supper talk, talking about this. If you believe that it's literal, was jesus literal body he's handing them bread he's handing them the wine is he bleeding is he is his body broken you know and james weiss says does an honest reading of the lord's words force us to believe that christ changed the bread and the wine into his body at this time and then instructed his followers to do the same it's representative it says do this in remembrance of me because it's what's going to happen the the the, the his sacrifice on the cross was the point not and, the and, crackers and juice we eat yeah and the point of communion like that was one big like mind-blowing aspect to me is like realizing like communion means that we are actually in we are now in communion with a holy god like we yeah. were not in communion with the holy god before christ yeah. so like by his offering of 
of the flesh, by his offering of the blood. Like we are now open to have communion with the Holy God. And that's really, I feel like the significance of the communion, not necessarily that we're physically eating and drinking Christ's flesh and blood, but the fact that through his flesh and blood, we now have communion with the Holy God. And if you want to take the metaphor, like metaphor, but the the symbolism thing further, he's doing this at Passover, which was all symbolic of the thing that happened in Exodus, which the lamb itself was symbolic of the sacrifice to come. Like it's all symbolism. It's weird to have symbolism, 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 but right now it's literal. This is true. And it is definitely picking and choosing what you want to take literally and what you want to take as a symbol. So when right. Jesus hands, when Jesus himself, not cut, not broken, not beaten, not hanging on a cross, hands them bread and wine saying, well, this is my body being broken before I go to the cross, before yeah. I'm, 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 I'm flogged, before all these things, here it is. And now I'm bleeding. Now my body is broken. It, you just cannot take that as a literal flesh and blood. Uh, it's, it's symbolic. It's in remembrance. It's important in Right. very important you know that we ought to have um the eucharist we ought to have communion we mm. it's, it's a must right. but it is not christ perpetually dying for you at the behest of a priest and it's, it's interesting don't... too when you i'll oh, go ahead but no it's okay go ahead i'll, I'll go when you said when you were going over the defense of why you know transubstantiation what it means that they were pulling from aristotelian greek ideas but yeah. not from the scriptural basis itself it was like our justification for this is aristotle like, yeah. okay but that's not it's, it's reason it's logic right. yes and yeah yeah what, i was what just is, gonna say yeah, uh comments. joan joan said yes he has to leave something after his death and i think that that may be um a big thing that a lot of people are missing and not even catholicism is the fact that like jesus said I must go so that my spirit can come. Like you would yeah, rather man. me go so the spirit yes, can come. Right. Like the, the spirit yes. indwelling a believer Perfect. is what he's left inside of us. Not yeah, right. necessarily his flesh and blood because his flesh and blood were done on the cross. And yes, he was resurrected into a new body that's now reigning in heaven, but he's left us his spirit. So like the spirit is dwelling inside of us, enabling us to live according to his will. But, yes. it, but just like y'all said, the flesh and the blood are symbolic. And Ernie keeps saying something about metonymy but y'all know me and my christian lingo and i'm just like (laughs) what does that mean well i think i don't even think he's talking about christian lingo i think he's referencing the greek so let me look it up so we don't sound stupid (laughs) okay looking up metonymy (laughs) (laughs) uh the substitution of the name of an attribute or adjunct for that of the thing meant for example suit for business business executive or track for horse racing or horse racing what are the are there a lot of, are there a lot of comments i haven't really been looking I think uh, they're kind of, a lot from joan one thing that joan did ask that was really interesting uh and this might have to be a whole other live maybe next time uh what exactly makes a christian a christian and it came yeah. up when we were talking about our mm. catholics christians because that's a mm. You know, I mean, what does make a Christian? Because I, I was thinking about this as it was coming through. It was like, okay, what does when we start defining things like that? It's hard to draw like definite parameters. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, okay, is the thief on a cross on the cross a Christian? Yeah. Right. Is yeah. the is the it's guard who was standing is the guard who was standing at the foot of the cross that said, "Truly, this is the Son of God." Was he a Christian? Was yeah. the was the centurion who said, "I understand how authority works. If you say it, it'll happen." Is he a Christian? Yeah, he had faith think, more than anyone in Israel. So I, you know, yeah, yeah. 
I'd say it's, it's about. Go, go ahead, ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, Abby, go ahead. No, I was just going <laughs> to say it's about professing. Uh, being a true Christian is about professing with your life and not only with your mouth. Mm. Okay. So yeah, your I mean, body is a living sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a it's a posture of surrender. It's a posture mm. of repentance mm. of sins of your sin recognizing I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I cannot save myself and not even partially. I can't even meet him halfway. Mm. I just live in rebellion to God. I'm dead in my sin and trespasses. And he made me alive in Christ, you know, Ephesians two. So it, it is a, it, a posture of surrender and a posture of humility of, of just understanding. And, and that, that's the work of the Holy spirit. That's the work of God drawing him to you, uh, drawing him to, uh, drawing us to, to him, uh, in in that understanding of like there's nothing i can do there is literally nothing i can do and and you know all have fallen all sin has fallen short of the glory of god and we just need we i'm a sinner in need of a savior and jesus christ is that savior the christ the jesus christ of the bible of scripture is that savior and the only way to the father and so there's an exclusivity there not just this is my way this is my kind of thing that works for me but no, this is the, what's true for everyone. And this is the only truth that exists is that Jesus is the way. And, uh, and this is where it gets, it's tricky is like, you know, I, I, the wage of sin is death and I cannot die that death because I'm a sinner. Mm -hmm. Jesus lived sinlessly, lived perfectly, fulfilled the law perfectly, lived a life I never could. And he died the death I never could. And in my place and imputed his righteousness to me so that by that I am justified. And so when God looks at me, he sees Christ. It's mm. our name on his homework, you know? Right. So he's right. done the work and he's imputed that righteousness to us at his death. Um, and that, you know, so I, my works, I, there's nothing I can do. And then, so we were justified and then the rest of our life being sanctified, mm. overcoming sin, get growing in our faith and knowing more about God, sharing the gospel. And then we die, but that's not sinless perfectionism where we can become sinless, um, but we are already justified. So when right. God looks at us, he does see sinlessness. He sees perfection because right. he sees Christ when he looks at us. Counted so, righteous. So that I would say is what mean, like means to be a Christian, uh, you know, as far as, as far as that posture of humility, I cannot do anything on, on my, on my own. The flesh is dead. My, the flesh is alive. Spirit is dead. And God gives me life um, and just saves me. So instead of recognizing that in, in, in a posture of gratitude and humility under that and yeah, repenting of sins and confessing and uh, just accepting God's grace uh, passive. That's all we do is passively accept God's grace right. and, and I mean, we have and faith in that. That's why it gets tricky when we're talking about Roman Catholicism and whether or not a Roman Catholic can be a Christian. And, you know, it's like, yes, in spite of the church, because that idea of imputed righteousness isn't there. Yeah. If you believe your works save you in any smallest, tiny little measure, anything, any little like, okay, you know, as much as you can do. And then God picks up the slack. If it's any sort of idea like that, then I would say that that's not the mindset of a Christian. Right. That, I would say that person is not saved. Right. If you're bringing anything other than empty hands, you have the wrong idea. It's the empty hand of faith. You're just like, I've got passively accepting grace. Yeah. So this and is just coming. Go ahead. No, just, I, I'm seeing Joan's comments coming through as like as it's happening live, real time. Uh, she says Catholics were the first Christians, which I don't know how you could justify that statement <laughs> scripturally, but 
uh well what's a catholic i mean it's a christian okay yeah yeah. well and even even at that they say peter is the first pope but the popes aren't allowed to be married and peter was married so he was very married there's there goes that there's absolutely nothing scripturally or historically that would indicate peter had any sort of special office or superiority over the other apostles if anybody would be paul right half the new testament so yeah the idea that peter had some sort of special office or authority over the other apostles it's just, it's not there. There's just nothing historically or scripturally documented that he had any of that. I mean, besides, um, upon this rock, I will, you know, your name is Peter and upon this rock, I'll plant my church. Like, okay, that, then what, then what did Peter do? Then what happened? Like, you know, don't see any sort of special action as a Pope from Peter. And that's it. And, and that's what I'm pretty curious about um, Catholicism too, is because they take that verse on this rock, I'll build my church. On Peter, I'll build my church. But then throughout the Bible, throughout Ephesians, throughout um, maybe even Colossians, and maybe some more, it's illustrated all throughout about how he's building his church, how he's building the spiritual dwelling place of the Lord. And Ephesians is what it's called. And like in, in the text, it says the cornerstone is Christ. The foundation is the apostles and the prophets. And then us as the building, as we're continually spreading the gospel, building up the building. So I always wonder, like, why did they take that? Do they, do they take all references to the church as the Catholic church? Or do they also see, um, see like the Catholic church plus the spiritual church being, being built up? Or is it only the Catholic church? I think it's one and the same for them. Like the Catholic church is the only true church because they have the lineage and authority of the apostles. So if you're not in the Catholic church, you're not in the true church, which I don't know too. I mean, if you're a liberal Catholic, maybe you don't see it that way. Maybe you do think there's, uh, vestiges of truth in other denominations but my understanding right. is that the catholic church i mean the word catholic is the idea of the universality the united church okay so okay. It, it, that's my understanding that they believe the catholic church is the new testament church to modern times carried through so that's why you know she would say something like catholics were the first christians even though there's no way to except, prove that anyway except their pope and the cardinals right except the pope and the cardinals and i guess the pope will point to those cardinals so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to coming from out being outside of Catholicism. I've never been in Catholicism. So it's hard to understand a lot of the mentality that comes with it. Like it's, it's very foreign, you know? No, but you, yeah, same here. but you have been in church in a traditional cultural church where you believe things just because mm. everyone believes them and you're told right. to. And how yeah. We experience that. So I mean, like, you know, eschatology, left behind, the whole, right. I never questioned that. I was a yeah. dispensational premillennialist, left mm-hmm. behind person, because I didn't know there was any other sort of eschatology, eschatological views of revelation, of the millennium, mm-hmm. of, of, of eschatology. So, so you don't know. So we, so I think, I think that's kind of the mindset of a lot of Catholics is that mm-hmm. they're just in this thing and they just, it's all they've ever known. It's just what you do. You baptize right. your baby you take the mass you know you take the communion and go to mass and you know say the say the prayers uh, say the hail mary say the rosary yeah say the rosary and, and, and just do all this stuff and let's just see it it's just what christianity is and, and what, no, no questioning it yeah and what stinks to me is it just kind of goes back to the torah observant like mm. like if you really think about it it comes from people like wanting to serve wanting yeah. to be I obedient i don't know if it's the same though because and it just gets twisted 
Catholicism is a little bit more like inherited. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I, agree, I agree with that. I Torah, agree with that. I think Torah observance is a little bit more sought out. Like nobody inherits that. Like they, they come <laughs> into it, they fall into it. But Catholicism right. is kind of one of those things that's passed down. Like, well, my parents are Catholic and my grandparents are Catholic. So, but it, 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 I would say I mean, it is the same from the opposite, opposite ends, you know, whereas like Catholicism is inherited and there's kind of no questioning it. Torah observant is, is sought out, but there's no questioning it either. Mm. You just, it's, it's kind of swallowed the same way. Um, but it still comes from like the person's heart to want to be obedient you know what i mean like like it kind of it kind of makes me wonder like we say the american gospel but how long has Mm -hmm. the american gospel been you know been been told how long has people been told you say a prayer one time yeah how long do people say you say a prayer one time you're saved and that's the end like that you know the other people are like well that can't be that can't be it you know what i mean that can't Mm -hmm. that can't be that's all that that's all that i have to do like now what I mean, I, I I think the 70s was really when that stuff got, like, codified as kind of, like, standard American Christianity. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, hip, the hippie movement. The Jesus, Jesus movement. So, movement. Yeah. yeah Jesus I think Street. that's kind of the start of all that. Because that's when you have, like, mega churches starting, too. Mm. Yeah. Which, yeah. I'd, you know, I'd love to do a deep dive on that, too, because I find that whole thing fascinating. Just like that Jimmy, whole... Like, Jimmy Swagger and, like, yeah. Ted... Uh, what's that guy? Ted, what's that? Ted Baker... No, even uh, before that, like the the Crystal Cathedral, what's that one out in California, and uh, uh-huh. like the 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 early Christian music guys, Keith Green and Larry Norman and all those guys. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> I was listening to Larry Norman the other day. He's not bad, but <laughs> you know, it's like it's weird. It's like if Neil Young was a Christian, that's what Larry Norman sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's something, Abby, you bring that up of uh, when we were watching the Torah, Torah observant stuff, we we're kind of looking at that, that uh, I really appreciated when you were talking about how like this comes, that comes from a heart of wanting to not just give in to the prosperity, health, wealth and prosperity mm-hmm. gospel. Uh, once saved, always saved, punch your ticket in your saved fire insurance kind of thing. It's like the, it's like the overcompensation of that mm-hmm. where like you have to be right a jew you have to follow the law you know so but it comes from but it, it is that 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 good intention heart uh, of it of like wanting to follow god and in his his law is right and good and holy so i want to follow that and what, what can i do um and it so and i think roman catholicism is is kind of comes from the good intention heart too of uh you know what can the, i do the I church says this is what i have to do so mm. they're infallible and this is what i have to do yeah and they and trust it, and, that and it's something, but and the danger is it, the key to all that is there's something you can do. Mm. And that's, right. that's a right. thing. It's like not something you have to do. It's there's something you have to do and you can do it, mm-hmm. you know? Right. right. Cause we, I mean, we do believe that. Yeah. Right. There's something you have to do. That's yeah. be perfect. Yeah. And exactly. you can't, you can't do that. That's exactly. where we differ. Right. Yeah. We right. both agree. There's something you have to do. Be sinless and be perfect right. and not die in your sins. Okay. That's true. You have to do that you can't that's right. the difference is <laughs> that's that's why you can't. need jesus right and one time and that and his his, <laughs> his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient he said it is finished mm. you know, what was he talking about there you know he, per- so, he perfected all those being sanctified yeah so yeah and i i think as we you know i don't know if we kind of want to wrap up sorry 11 yeah but i think we as we do it, it really is important to keep in mind that uh, these are our friends. These are our family. Um, and they, they believe everything they believe just as much as fervently as we do. Um, right. And 
and not to say that it's like this postmodern relativist truth kind of thing, everything is, is equal, it's not. Um, but there, when we're speaking to Roman Catholics, it, it, there has to be a level of grace and mm -hmm. a level of understanding, like my whole misunderstanding of transubstantiation, like that's just wrong. I need to know about that. And, and hopefully that's what things like this video, you know, these, these podcasts can do is just be informative of, uh, so you don't just sound so offensively ignorant when you talk to a Roman <laughs> Catholic person, you know, of like, look, I know I, oh, I'm going to do an autopsy and see flesh and blood of Christ. Like, you're, okay, you don't know what you're talking about, mm -hmm. you know? And so we, we have like ability i think to know what we're talking about as we try and share what i would say is the true gospel of, mm -hmm. of scripture of christ to people uh to our roman catholic friends and family and and there is a level of grace that needs to be there in just understanding of like yeah if i stop being a catholic and become a protestant my family won't talk to me like mm -hmm. my grandma who's about to die will be disappointed in me and and maybe angry with me. You know what I mean? Right. So that's something to take into consideration of like, this is serious stuff. And this is mm -hmm. a lot of us have not had to uh, face such ostracization in our coming to Christ right. or, or in, in, in you know, coming to reform doctrine. Like when I became a Calvinist and I didn't, my family didn't stop speaking to me because I, you know, <laughs> found reform doctrine. Right. It was just like, okay, yeah, well, well I need to read about that someday, you know, right. but with this, if you're a Catholic to a Protestant, that is like a betrayal mm. and, a, and a, like a walk away from the faith, you know? So that needs to be kept in mind as we, as we share the true gospel with Catholics um, and just a level of understanding there. You know, I was thinking about it because, you know, in these books, they're talking about how uh, prayer to the dead, uh, you know, praying to, your, you know, what I forget what it's called, but like the shrines people put up with the candles and the pictures mm -hmm. and stuff, um, that that's an extremely high level of comfort to people to be able to talk to their dead husband or their dead children or their dead parents or something. Right. And, and, and think that they can hear them and that they're praying for them and that there's still a connection there. So to, to tell somebody, Hey, communication with the dead is a sin. That's hard to say. And that's a hard saying. It's a hard scripture to understand and, and, and receive. So when we say that we're talking, we're speaking against something that is extremely comforting for somebody and that they just see there's nothing wrong with me praying and talking to my dead relatives. And, and to say that there is, is highly offensive. And we need to, temper that with grace and patience and understanding of like this is what we're asking people to walk away from you know that high level of comfort and just something to think is so right to go to headstone and talk to your dad or something um but you know if we're wanting to live by the word we have to understand that these things that that's a sin to to we should be talking to god about our father we should be talking to god about our dead husband we should be talking to god about our dead relatives and things so to take that that the, the prayer prayer is an act of worship so when we pray to mary we pray to anything that's uh, that's worship and it's idolatry so um these things need to be understood and shared but we we have to understand where catholic people are coming from and and, and where their mind and heart is and so i don't know that's i just want i feel like that need to be said of like just this is a this is a, a situation that requires much grace and patience with with people yeah. And, Julian, Julian, do you have anything to close yeah, with? You know, he was, you, you were saying not to be like how you were saying you didn't understand transubstantiation all the way. So if anybody you were talking to, you would have sounded like, well, you don't even know what you're talking about to yeah. be arguing against this. But I think there's also the danger of being knowledgeable in what you're talking about, but still doing it like a jerk. Uh, 
Yeah. I, you know, I have the tendency to talk to other people sometimes the way I talk to you guys, which is different <laughs> because you know and tolerate me. Yeah. So, um, right. you know, good intentions and knowledge are, are, are good and right, but at the same time have, like you were saying, have a little bit of grace with people. Like understand that you're not going to win them over with bravado and you're not going to win them over with good arguments. Like especially Reformed Protestants, we understand like the argument we're presenting to you is not what's going to win you over. Ultimately, it's the grace of God revealed to you that's going to win you over. So, you know, it's it's a combination of understanding like, yes, these are hard things that will that only God can soften their hearts to understand, but also understanding these are hard things that only God can soften their hearts to understand. So my yeah. bluster and, and, and words and yelling is not going to get what I think accomplished accomplished. So yeah, we have to constantly be uh, checking our heart. You know, when we're when we're talking with with anybody, we have to understand. We think, am I trying to be right, right. or am I trying to to share truth with this person mm. in love and understanding? You know, it's, that's something we constantly have, not just with Catholics, with anybody uh, when we're sharing the gospel, because we we have to constantly be checking our heart of like, is my heart broken for this person, mm. and that they're that they're believing a false gospel and a false doctrine? Um, but maybe not. Maybe it is. You know, like we need to constantly check in that. And at the same time, I. I'll be honest, I kind of struggle a little bit with my flesh because, and I, and I was there, so I should have a lot more patience mm. than I do. I really, I really honestly should, but I kind of get offended at the fact of when people say that someone else can be infallible other than God. And mm -hmm. I think that yeah. I get offended because it's the fact of like, God is so holy and so sovereign and what is Romans three? No one is good. No one is righteous. No one seeks God. And that's, and that's scripture. That's God breathes. So God is saying no one is righteous. No one, no one seeks God. No one is just. So when people say, you know, like Jonah said, like what's infallible or what's, you know, how do you define that? God, God is infallible. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just, and he is the only one that is just and righteous. And then I saw another one that said, like, how do you, well, how do you be saved? Christ, Christ is how you're yeah. saved. But but what I feel like we're missing on the opposite side of that. And I like, it really breaks my heart for not even Catholicism, not just Torah observance, not just American gospel. It's the fact of what comes after being saved is now you're commanded to do God's work. You're commanded mm. to go and spread the gospel. You're commanded to go and build the church. You're commanded. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need us to reconcile his people to himself, but he uses us graciously and willingly. And that's, yeah. that's our command. Like, we are saved. We are sinless. He has perfected all those being sanctified that Christ dealt with. The sin had to be dealt with before we could continue on in our walk to being perfected, to be like the image of Christ. We can't do a sin on our own. That's why Christ came. So what we need to look at and what I think we're losing is what comes after salvation, being God's workers, spreading the gospel, yeah. doing the work being the hands and the feet of christ what is, what is that verse that jesus says uh when i came back i said you know um you you that fed me and you that clothed mm. me and they're like when did i see you it was it, he's like that was me that was me that you did that too like that's mm -hmm. that's our job our yeah. job isn't to be saved because we can't save ourselves christ saves us yeah. and so that i mean i don't like i said I've, i i need to do i hear what y'all are saying on that yeah. end of like we need to have patience but at the same time like I almost get offended at the fact yeah. of like, no, nobody is infallible. Like we are all, none of us are worthy. Like we all need Christ and a hundred percent there doesn't matter if you're Catholic, doesn't matter if you're Christian, doesn't matter if you're every other denomination in the world. Like, I don't know. We, we all need Jesus and that's it. Like he's the only one that's the author and perfecter of our faith. Yeah. 
Yeah, I understand that about being offended. Like you hear something, it's like, well, hang on, you're talking about <laughs> my God and my right, state, right, you know? right. And that's yeah, and that, but yeah, let that you know, listen and, and understand where the person's coming from and what and and how they've their thinking has been, you, you know, right, twisted. And so, right. you know, and, and so that that's like, how dare you? But then it's like, oh, you just don't know. And that right. that let that kind of just you know, compel us to share gospel and share the scripture share, share god's word um and yeah just try our best to do it effectively and hope that the holy spirit is working through us to yep. speak to somebody yeah yeah i totally understand all so, right cool so i think we kind of got to i got to everything i want to talk about which yeah is i mean we hit all yep. the main <laughs> points yeah yep. all right so what's uh do we have anything we want to your, I guess the big next big thing will be your debate with Alex on the Marian doctrines. Yeah, that'll be a big yep. one. So everybody follow along with us to that. We'll be posting, talking about, and, and gearing up for that. Yep. Um, if anyone has any resources you want to shoot my way, feel free. I take them. So whatever you got. Yep. Yeah. Mom, and... leave us a good review. You're always the one bashing us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mom was the one that was one of the says like, why don't y'all let her talk? <laughs> Don't need to be quiet. Don't tell her talk. Because <laughs> we're theonomists. That's what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to, that's another one we're going to get into. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to keep out of that one. <laughs> you me, can moderate me, that one. <laughs> yeah. You moderate it. Me and Julian go round and round on that. Yeah. One. <laughs> that's one. That's what we're talking about in the text, in the text chat. It was like, Solomon, where are you at? And it was like, Julian keeps talking. <laughs> <laughs> he's going. That's every situation. That's going to be the name yeah. of, my of my biography. He keeps talking. Julian just keeps talking. He just <laughs> don't want to shut no, up. No. He, like, he I, found I his problem. match. I think you, you think you can dig your way out of a hole. That's the <laughs> you know what? Let me tell the story. I think I told you this story down. one time. We were at work one time, and I made a statement that I knew was false the moment I said it. <laughs> Because we were talking but you about... still stood by it, didn't you? Yes, because I had already said it. So now I had to hold the position and it didn't matter if it was wrong. I had already made the point and now I have to stand on it. That's the flesh. That's your and flesh. It wasn't even a good argument. It was a stupid argument. about. Was, this was, at the... The... was it at the conference? Yeah, part? yes. It was when I said, <laughs> I said Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was the best movie of the 90s. Oh, I, I remember when you said that. I... <laughs> I remember when you said that. So Julie and I used to work at a comic book store. And this is what we talked about. Is yeah, this is work. So Julian throws out there, I don't know how, why. Like how it comes up. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the live action movie of 1991, was the best movie of the 90s. And as it left my mouth, I already knew it was wrong. And as I heard it, I was like, that, <laughs> that Dr. Phil meme where he's like. But it's, I couldn't, I, could, I made the statement, now I had to stick to the point. And well, to that, be fair, it's a pretty good movie. Well, and then and, and I should completely shut you down with two words. What were the two words? Was it Pulp Fiction? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I so still think it's better fiction. than Forrest Gump, but that's besides the point. Forrest Gump. I'm, Clerks, I'm just gonna. The Matrix, I'm just gonna. Like, <laughs> oh, well, Ninja Turtles is definitely better than Clerks. Fight Club, American Beauty, like all these <laughs> incredible movies came out. I'm just gonna remember this admission whenever we debate on theonomy. So Why whenever, whenever, whenever I'm right and you're still saying that you're right, what? even though you, you know what? you're wrong, you I'm know what the, remember that. He's he's contending with the flesh. Wait, you know what the problem is? You have the same flaw. You just don't realize it yet. I do realize it. <laughs> so this, this that's is why be, I said you've met your match. This is gonna be two brick walls just bouncing into each other. 
I think Abby, Abby will throw it out, but then she can actually back it up. And I so, can back things up with given enough time. <laughs> depends on what it is. Yeah. yeah it depends it'll, on what it is. It'll, it'll be a good debate. That's for sure. Well, you know, the yeah. problem is that Abby came out of uh, ultra legalism. So, like, she's had to do the work on the law right? that I didn't have to do exactly. this Exactly. Yeah. Like, the letter she had to do law. the work. <laughs> yeah. So, there will be, so just another uh, kind of speaking to something that's coming up. Um, I'm working on rolling out a, uh, like, sort of a book blog for this page um, where I re- go through some of the books I've read, books I'm reading now, um, and different highlighted sections or underlined parts that I some things that spoke out to me these are not full analysis of of any of any books but they are just kind of what what stuck out to me as sort of a book blog that will be rolling out uh starting Monday it'll probably be like a Monday Wednesday Friday thing as like a continual uh piece of content that just comes from this thing I know we don't always post pictures or post memes or we do the Wednesday night Facebook live and stuff and people catch that or they watch it when they can, but um, we're, we're working on rolling out more uh, continual consistent content. And one of those is a book blog that I'm sort of committing to now of, of rolling out like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, putting out a blog. I'll probably, it's, it's basically just going to be like a walk through a book uh, touching on certain quotes and notable quotables and certain sections and things I've underlined in the book uh, that I, I want to comment on or just kind of share with everybody. Um, so like I said, it's not going to be a full like book report or a full analysis of the book. These are books like Desiring God and Mere Christianity. If you want a full analysis of it and a full commentary, they're out there. They're online. You can find a thousand of them. So this is going to be what stuck out to me personally. And it's going to be more of just a personal blog of like what I've read and how it kind of stuck out to me and my response to certain sections of these books. But that's something that we're going to be rolling out next week as like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday continual thing to, to roll out. So I just wanted to kind of put that on everybody's radar and uh, just have that be looking out for that next Monday. We'll be starting doing that. Cool. And I don't know why we haven't mentioned this before, but if you guys have uh, topic suggestions, things you want to hear about, or, you know, ask our opinion on, please post them on the page. We'll for sure take them into consideration because sometimes we are running out of topics and we need a suggestion. So if you have a good one, we'll take it. Yeah. We kind of started this and like, cool. We have a few episodes of being kind of consistent on this every Wednesday. And it's like, Holy cow, we gotta find out. We gotta figure out something to talk about every We gotta figure out what to do every Wednesday. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's get like a schedule or something or we talk about something, you know. So yeah, we're definitely working on that and 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 kind of dedicating to be more consistent on that as far as content from the Facebook page and YouTube and looking out to branch out to like Twitter and Instagram and just mm. you know, all kinds of resources that we wanna start doing. They'll be doing blogs too. Julian and Abby will be writing blogs and, and just commenting on certain things that that they want to share so yeah I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna write a blog after i send it to solomon to proofread it because i'm so <laughs> terrible at grammar <laughs> <laughs> yeah they'll be fun they'll be good that's fine <laughs> yeah all righty we're cool thanks right. for joining us it's fun see you next week bye guys bye